Have you uh, ever experienced a moment or a season in life where you were under such severe stress and strain and stretched to your breaking point that you wondered, is Jesus really at work in this, in this part of my life? Have you ever been through a time where you felt realized such a sharp, painful sense of need and lack where you were forced to question and doubt if God was really present in the details of your life experience, if Jesus really was connected with you and active in your life, completing and carrying out his work. Maybe you're in a season like that right now. When I entered college, I also had the opportunity to enter into a work scholarship program. I, I promised to work a certain number of hours, and, and I received a certain tuition benefit to help cover all my bills. And as part of that process, I took an aptitude test. I was excited about this. I'd never taken a test like that. And I, I looked at this form, and it told me at the top that by answering all of these questions truthfully, honestly, accurately, that they would be able to take my answers and then connect me with a job that best fit my needs, like that where all of my strengths and experiences and, and everything I could bring to the table would be connected to a role that was best suited for me. I thought, this is fantastic. This is going to be great. Obviously, I'll take this test, and they're going to put me on the fast track to run this whole place. And so I, I filled out all the answers truthfully, honestly, accurately, and quickly. And then I got my job assignment back on a little slip of paper. They, I assumed they fed it into a machine. And scientifically, I was matched with a role that best suited my gifts and skills, food service dish room. <laughs> yeah, I was a dishwasher. And I, I wondered when I got that assignment, I wondered, what question did I miss? Like, what, what did I answer incorrectly? And I remember I showed up for my, my first shift in the dish room. And the first thing I noticed when I walked into that room in strange surroundings with stainless steel everywhere was the overpowering and unique smell that I had never encountered in my life. And then I figured out pretty quickly where the smell came from. There was this deep trough with water that was streaming through the trough, and the water was kind of gray. And all of the dishes and utensils were rinsed off in this stream of gray water before they were loaded into this big machine that actually washed them and sanitized them. And all that water took all the food scraps down to the end of the trough. And there was this huge metal box and all the food went into this little opening in this metal box and then at the end of one of those early shifts somebody gave me a fork and they took a panel off of that big metal machine and that's where the smell came from and it was my job to take the fork and clean out the food scraps that were caught in the teeth and the gears that chewed up all of that stuff that was left over we called that machine the pulper, and I had to clean that out. And again, my mind went back to that test I took, and I wondered, what 
question did I miss? Because I never want to answer a question like that again. I want to find a different answer. I've missed something. And they put me in this terrible, terrible job. Today we are launching a new series called Imperfect Disciple, where we're following along with Jesus' original 12 disciples as they received some on-the-job training from Jesus. And we find over and over in their experiences that they missed it. Whatever questions were being thrown their way, whatever experiences they were having repeatedly, they seemed to miss the point. Like me taking that aptitude test, they were giving all the wrong answers. But way too often in our own lives and in our experience, I, I do the same thing. And I suspect that you do as well. And so we're going to walk with these original 12 disciples of Jesus to learn from their experience and to discover how our life with Jesus is mirrored and connects to their life experience with Jesus because all of us are imperfect disciples. Now, today we're looking at a story in Mark chapter 6. So if you have your Bible with you or you have an app you can open up or you're, you're watching in your own room or home and you can get up and pick up a Bible or open a device, uh, go to the table of contents and find the gospel of Mark. Make your way to chapter 6. Our story comes from verses 30 to verse 44. And I'm going to tell you part of the story and then we'll read some of what Jesus said and did. But you'll want to be able to reference the story in our time together and look back. And so find that place in your Bible, Mark chapter 6. This is happening just after the disciples have returned from their first mission trip. Jesus sent out the 12 in pairs all over the region of Galilee, and they took Jesus' message to the people. They spread out, preaching and teaching about Jesus, and then they came back to Christ, and they debriefed uh, part of their experience, and Jesus decided that this would be a good time for them to take a break. They needed a vacation. They needed to rest. So he called them together, and they got into a boat, and uh, they, they were going to sail a short distance on the big lake, the Sea of Galilee that, that dominated the region where they lived. All life happened around this, this sea. And Jesus was taking them to a, a slightly more remote location where they could get up into the hills and get away from the crowds and take a few days to rest and recover. But when Jesus stepped off the boat at this remote location... Thousands of people were waiting on him. Somebody snitched, and they were like ancient paparazzi. They, they followed along on the shore. Somebody knew where they were headed, and, and thousands of people flocked to hear Jesus and to meet him. The disciples' preaching tour was more effective than they had imagined, and all these people wanted to see and meet Jesus for themselves in this remote location they had planned to rest, but now Jesus, instead, he taught them all day long. He taught them things they never could have heard anywhere else or imagined. When it came to the end of the day, Jesus and his disciples, they looked at everybody and they were all hungry. They hadn't brought enough food with them and, and they were out kind of in the middle of nowhere. So the disciples said, Jesus, it's been a good day. It's time to call it. 
send these people away so they can find some food in the little villages and farms that are nearby. And this is where I want you to see and read what Jesus says and does beginning in verse 37. Jesus turns back around to his disciples and he says, you feed them. (laughs) With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Well, how much bread do you have? Jesus asked. Go and find out. So they came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. This is a remarkable story. In fact, this miracle is the only miracle that Jesus performed other than the resurrection that shows up in all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell this story. Jesus performed so many miracles that the gospel writers were able pretty much to pick and choose which stories they included that best suited their story about Jesus and their gospel, the portrait they were presenting of him. But this one, every gospel writer included. So there's something special and unique about this particular event and the way Jesus went about performing the miracle. In, in one of my seminary classes years ago, Bill Lawrence, my teacher, a mentor who, who had a significant influence on me, he, he came to this story and summarized the message, I think, better than I could on my own. And here it is. Here's what Jesus wanted his disciples to learn. You must do what you can't do with what you don't have. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive and It's a little bit strange to hear it, to say it out loud. So I want to say it one more time. This is the big message Jesus was trying to teach to his followers, his original followers and to us. You must do what you can't do with what you don't have. You must do things if you're following me and if you're going to live life with me, I'm calling you to do something that is impossible for you to do with resources that you don't have that are not available to you. And gentlemen, my 12 disciples and every other follower after, this is what life with me is going to look like. Now today in our time together, I want us to draw out Five principles for the way that Jesus performed this miracle that help us understand what that statement looks like and how it plays out in our lives, not just what happened then, but what that looks like in life today. How does Jesus 
go about doing his best work. His disciples were stressed out and stretched severely. There were people feeling the sharp pains of hunger. And that's when Jesus did his best work. The first principle for us to take away, Jesus does his best work during interruptions. This was a miracle that wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't really in the plan. Jesus intended to take a vacation. He wanted to get away with his 12 disciples so they could rest and recover after this huge experience of a mission trip. And so they were going to a remote location to get away from all the people. But all the people followed them and showed up. And this was not in the plan. During this life interruption, Jesus performed a miracle that became a paradigm for life and ministry and for following Jesus and for discipleship for his disciples and for us. And it all happened during an interruption, something that was unplanned, unwanted, unhoped for, unlooked for. But Jesus saw an opportunity to feed more than 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. I think it was the great philosopher, John Lennon, who said, life is what happens while we're busy making other plans. How has your life plan been interrupted? God finds a way to take our life interruptions to perform his greatest work. No one ever plans to get sick. No one asks for chronic pain or chronic disease and illness. No one wants a mental illness that, that no one else can see. Nobody asks for depression or anxiety. No one ever pursues cancer or serious life-threatening disease. Nobody's ever asked to get fired from their job. No one wants to be pushed into retirement before they're ready. Whenever a couple gets married, Nobody ever says, I, I just can't wait until we get to the point where we each, where both of us want something different and we're pursuing different goals and we have to figure out a way to make it work. Nobody ever asks for that. When, when a couple bring a child into the world, no one ever says, I can't wait till they're old enough to really make some bad choices and damage their life in severe ways that break my heart. Nobody ever asks for that. No one ever asks for a friend to betray them. No one ever wanted their spouse to come home and say, I'm out, I want a divorce. How has your life plan been interrupted? It's a hard thing to come to terms with, but it's in those major life interruptions where Jesus often finds an opening to do the work that only he can do in our lives and in our world. Jesus does his best work during interruptions. This was a miracle he didn't plan on. 
The second principle that we can walk away with, Jesus does some of his best work when you're overwhelmed. When you're way in over your head, when you're facing a need, a problem, a challenge, and you don't have the resources to solve it, you can't find a way over it. You can't get over it, no matter how hard you try or what strategies you use. This is the time when Jesus steps in to do his work. This uh, story in Mark chapter 6 is the beginning of several situations where Christ confronts his disciples with different challenges that are too big for them to handle. Now, when I read this story, it, doesn't it seem a little bit unfair that Jesus turns to his disciples facing more than 5,000 hungry people and he says, oh, okay, why don't you feed them? <laughs> I want you to find something for them to eat. How, how much do you have? Well, what did you bring along? How can you meet this need? Doesn't that seem wrong? Like it just seems a little bit unreasonable. But you and I, we find ourselves in different life situations that are bigger than we can handle on our own. Right after this miracle, Jesus put his disciples into a boat so he could get away into the hills to pray for the night. And they went out there on the boat and a storm blew up. And the disciples were rowing hard, trying to stay afloat and get to shore. And they thought they were going to die. And that's when Jesus was walking across on the water. And they called out. They thought he was a ghost. They realized it was Jesus. He stepped into the boat and he said something like that song we sang earlier, it is well. The storm calmed, and Jesus said, be courageous. Don't be afraid. It's me. I'm with you. And then Jesus performed another miracle. He, he met a, a woman whose daughter had a severe affliction. This was a Gentile woman, someone who was outside of God's covenant and promises with Israel, but she had great faith and confidence in Jesus. And Jesus healed this woman's daughter. And then Jesus brought hearing to a, a man who was deaf. And then Jesus did a redo of the Mark 6 miracle. In Mark chapter 8, there's another big group of hungry people out in the middle of nowhere. And this time, with a few more loaves, seven loaves, Jesus feeds oh, maybe a few thousand less people, 4,000 men and their families. This is a redo of this same miracle. And then Jesus finally heals a blind man's eyes, a man who can't see. And he does it in a strange way. He does it in two stages. Normally, he heals people all at once, but this time, it, there's two steps where at first, the man can see, but everything's really blurry, and then Jesus touches him again, and his sight is fully restored. This is a moment where Jesus has intentionally and increasingly turned away from the crowds in order to invest in his disciples. And he's trying to drive home a message. We find part of that message in Mark chapter 8. These miracles all happen in Mark 6, 7, and 8. And after the, the redo miracle of the loaves and fish, the disciples are bickering with each other because they didn't bring enough of the leftovers along and now they were hungry and they didn't have enough food. And Jesus cuts them off and he says, wait, don't you get it? Are your hearts 
still too hard to take it in. You, you have ears. Can't you hear? You have eyes. Can't you see? Can't you see what's right in front of you? You still don't understand about the loaves and the fish. How many leftovers were there when I fed more than 5,000 people? Oh, there were, well, there were 12 baskets of leftovers, Lord. And how many were left over when we, we just fed more than 4,000 people? Oh, we had baskets and baskets of leftovers, Lord. Don't you get it yet? You're going to face overwhelming situations all throughout your life. But I'm with you. Without me, you can't do anything. With me, there's nothing you can't do. With me, you can say, it is well with my soul. Whether you're overwhelmed with a storm alone on a big lake or whether you're facing a sharp need with thousands of people and you don't know how to meet that need or whether you're feeling stressed out because of your lack of resources, open up your eyes, open your ears, unstop them to hear the song that I'm creating because I am with you and you're going to be constantly overwhelmed but I'm going to put you into these situations to soften your heart up so that you can understand that I'm always with you. Jesus does some of his best work during our life interruptions when we feel entirely overwhelmed. And here's our third principle. He does this work by receiving what you give him. Whatever it is that you have to bring to Jesus and put into his hands. This miracle is unique for multiple reasons, but one of those is because of the way the disciples participated. Jesus is the one who made it happen, but the disciples distributed the food. They were a vital part of carrying out this miracle. And Jesus turned to them and he said, now, what do you have? How much bread do you have? And they came up with just a, a light lunch of, of a few loaves of bread, some pieces of bread and fish. And Jesus took that and he multiplied it. And he made it much more. It was much more in his hands than it was in their hands when they kept it and held on to it. And he calls us to the same kind of life so what is it that God has put into your hands that you could offer to him? What could you give him that could be multiplied over and over and over? We've got a, a fantastic team in tech. Uh, we can see some of them in the booth and running the cameras, and there's others down in the control room and in hidden places that we never see. And in this team of volunteers of men and women, if they give one hour of their time every week, and they give a little, they give more than that, but if they give one hour of their time, do you realize their one hour is multiplied by everyone else's hour, by everyone else who is participating, 
who's hearing the voice of Jesus call to them, who's lifting up their own voice in worship. We can't make miracles happen and start breaking bread and fish, but I've never heard of a better way to multiply time. And whenever we engage in service and give our time to someone else, our time, our energy, our effort is multiplied by the difference it makes in that other person's life, whether it's one person or or whether it's thousands. Sometimes we, we look at the big problems in our world and I feel like there's so little that we can do to make a difference. Maybe you, you've thought the same thing. This, you know, the past year or two, uh, we've faced such massive international upheaval. The fall of the government in Afghanistan, war in Europe and Ukraine, and it's easy to think, what, what could I do? I'm just one person. Some of you remember this and know this, and many of you have been participating, but there is a family in Johnson City who are starting a new life right now because they had to run from their home in Afghanistan to start over. And our church was able to connect with with a, a missions partner, Samaritan's Purse, to help bring this family into our town, find a place for them to live, and get them started, get their kids into school, and, and now finding employment and work and putting together all of, the, all of the stuff, all of the things that are necessary to run a household and to start life again because they had to leave it all behind. And I don't know how to do that. You probably don't know how to do that. That is not something any one of us could do on our own. But there's a team of committed volunteers who are charging ahead and helping our whole church move in that direction. And our church body has come around through generosity to give to what God is doing here and to become part of this project specifically to do something more than we could ever do on our own. And that kind of process is repeated over and over when each one of us decide to Give whatever we have. When we take inventory of what God has given us and we decide to share it with other people, it's how Jesus is still doing some of his best work today. And if you give to Grace Fellowship Church, you're part of that. That's incredible. Jesus does his best work during our life interruptions when we're overwhelmed. He receives what we give. And the fourth principle, he does this to create abundant life. Life that is exploding. Life that is bursting from the seams. That's what Jesus does with what we give to him. He makes it so much more in his hands than it was when we were holding on to it. Now this feast story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people, it's not the only banquet in Mark chapter 6. The way that Mark has constructed his story, he's created a contrast with another feast that was also going on. King Herod threw a wild party earlier in Mark chapter 6. It was a birthday party. And he invited all the important people. Uh, He was very insecure, and he was always trying to impress other people, and he wanted their loyalty. So he threw this wild, lavish party that he was known for. At the party, his daughter, or maybe it was his stepdaughter, she performed this dance that pleased Herod. And so he promised to give her whatever she wanted. 
Now, a little bit of backstory. Uh, this girl's mother had previously been married, married to Herod's brother, Philip. And Herod stole his brother's wife, married her, made her his own. And down in Herod's prison cells, there was a prophet. It was Jesus' cousin. His name was John, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And John had confronted Herod publicly and said, you, you think you can make your own laws here and do whatever you want, but you are breaking God's laws. And you'll be accountable to him one day. So Herod took John and threw him into prison, but he was afraid of John. So he just left him there. He, he really wasn't going to do anything else except try to silence his voice because John was a holy man and he, he didn't want to do anything else to harm him, but when this girl performed the dance, urged by her mother, she came to Herod and said, I want John the Baptist's head. Take his life. And because Herod was afraid of his crowd, of the people who heard him make this grand promise, and because he was afraid of his wife, he took John's life, took his head from him. This incredible feast with all the resources that a king possessed. And it ended in death. Because Herod was full of fear. And he was only looking out for himself. He was self-seeking. And then you turn the page in Mark chapter 6... And Jesus, the king of kings, he calls people out to a remote wilderness area and there's not enough food to feed them and there's not a person in the crowd who looks important. None of them were invited to Herod's feast and Jesus takes a few loaves and fish and he multiplies it and breaks it and he creates an abundant feast where there's even more than any of those thousands of people could consume. And they're just filling the baskets with leftovers because Jesus was others focused. And he was teaching people to be full of faith. When the disciples had the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100, remember all they had, all they had was five loaves and two fish, but they believed. They believed and they were shifting their focus to be more concerned about the needs of other people than their own embarrassment, than their own stress, than their own lack of resources and ability. And they were faithful. They were full of faith instead of fear. And Jesus used it to create abundantly for all of the crowd and even for his own disciples. And you and I have a choice. When we're faced with overwhelming odds and experiences in life, we can become self-seeking and fearful, full of fear in our choices. Or we can get our attention off of ourselves to try to meet the needs of someone else and be faithful, full of faith in what God can do in our impossible situations. When we do that, Jesus takes the opportunity to create abundant life for us and for other people. The fifth principle I want us to take away is the motivation behind everything that Jesus does in this story and in our lives. Jesus does some of his best work out of his great love. 
When the disciples looked out at the crowd, they saw all these hungry people and not enough resources to feed them, and they saw those people as problems, as a problem to be solved. And so they encouraged Jesus, Jesus, send these people away. Maybe they can go find a little village or a farm and, and scrounge together something to eat. Jesus looked at those people differently. Mark 6 tells us that Jesus had compassion for them. And he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. And so he turned to his disciples. And he loved them just as much as the crowd. And he began to teach his disciples what life would look like with him and how they could become shepherds for his people after he was gone. To see all those interruptions and overwhelming circumstances, not as just a problem to be solved and sent away and ignored, but to look through the eyes of compassion. And this is a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson for me. I keep coming back to it in my own life experience. And I know it's hard for you. All of those life interruptions that we never wanted, those overwhelmed feelings that we experience, maybe it's not a sign of Jesus' absence and disinterest in our life. Maybe it's a sign of his great love for us. Because with compassion, he keeps teaching us that when we bring him what we have, even if it's just broken pieces of bread and fish, he uses that to create abundant life for us and for other people. All because he loves us. I don't know if I've ever told you how I met my wife, Megan. If I did, I've forgotten, so forgive me. We met at that college, you know, where I got that amazing job, scientifically matched to my skill set. I didn't meet her in the dishroom, fortunately. She did not work there, which was good for her. At, at this college, it was a small Christian college, about 5,000 students, and, and we attended chapel. We were supposed to attend chapel. And at, at this school, uh, there was a row monitor in every row, who was taking attendance because the school wanted to know who was showing up and who was not showing up. And, and this was not a paid role, and, and you, <laughs> you didn't get to get out of it. You know, nobody, you, you were volunteered for it, and you got notice. You tell us who's missing or else we're coming for you. It was that kind of a school. And so one semester, I ended up in a row where Megan had been volunteered through no fault of her own, to be the row monitor. And she was to take attendance every day. And guess whose seat was frequently empty? <laughs> this guy. Yeah. So, you know, don't get any ideas. We might start having row monitors here. You know, just, you know, so watch yourselves. And so she would notice that I was gone. And, and it took me years of hearing her tell this story of how we met before I actually realized <laughs> the reason that Megan really noticed me, it was not because of my beautiful personality or sparkling conversation skills. It was because I wasn't there. 
And I'm not sure what that says about me, but I don't feel very good about it. For whatever reason, she noticed I was gone, and, and then I got to know her, and we became friends, and eventually I wore her down, and, and she, she married me. And the reason I wasn't there in chapel most of the time, it was because I had a job, and I was working. I ended up getting promoted out of the dishroom into another job, probably because of the way I cleaned the pulper so well. And, but my job kept me out of chapel, and so she noticed me, and I then began to wonder, what if I had never ended up in that dishroom with that unique smell? Somehow, those jobs I had ended up helping me meet the greatest gift in my life. God really does work in mysterious ways. He works through our unplanned interruptions, things we never hoped for, expected, wrote down as a goal, he brings these overwhelming experiences and odds into our life. And when we give him what we have, he takes that and creates an abundant life for us and for other people, all because of his love. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to make this your prayer. Incorporate these ideas and themes or even these very words into your prayer life. And you can find this prayer in the, the study guide you can download from the sermon page at gfcnow.com. But would you pray, Lord Jesus, help me give you what I have, recognizing my overwhelming interruptions as your gift to create abundant life for me and others. Help me believe this because I know that you love me. Lord Jesus, together we're asking you to give us a different view on our interruptions and overwhelming experiences. Help us to bring all of that to you, <laughs> not to retreat in on ourselves and hold on to it in our own anger and fear, bitterness. Help us instead to keep listening to your voice, answering your call, bringing all those broken pieces of us and putting them in your hands so that you can break it up and multiply it and use it to create abundant life that we could never imagine for ourselves and also for other people. Jesus, I know that there, for all of us at times, and for some people right now, it's so hard to believe this. So keep bringing us back to this truth that you love us so deeply, that you keep working through our overwhelming interruptions to create gifts that result in abundant life and it's not because of us, but it's because of you working through us.